Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today is someone who has been living with cystic fibrosis since she was 18 months old. Speaking about her first interaction with a doctor with whom she subsequently developed a wonderful relationship, she says, Our first interaction did not come off on, on the right footing. And I, I definitely like harbored that for a little for a little bit of a time. Ella Balasa is uniquely placed to talk about how we can improve outcomes in healthcare by improving communication between doctor and patient in the context of chronic illness. I'm speaking today with Ella Balasa. Ella, you're very welcome to the show. It's a joy to start the new year with such an interesting guest and such an important conversation. And I want to start with what you say online, which is that the condition that you have has been at once your greatest asset, but also your greatest problem. What is that issue and how did you come to live with the diagnosis that you now have? Well, thank you so much for for having me on the podcast. I I really do appreciate it. I feel very honored. So I guess I'll start by saying that having cystic fibrosis has given me innumerable challenges throughout my life. It is a disease that causes, for those that are unaware, a buildup of mucus in the lungs that attracts bacteria and then leads to lung infections, uh, lung inflammation, and then over time, a deterioration in lung function, lung tissue, and then it leads to a shortened life expectancy. So over the years growing up, I have required using very frequent antibiotics to treat these lung infections. And over time, as my as the progression of the disease has affected my lungs, I've lost a lot of lung function, which means it's affected my day-to-day living. I'm no longer able to really exert a lot of energy. I'm not able to, to run. I use supplemental oxygen when I am exercising and I'm, and I'm limited in, in the, the frequency or I guess the, the and it, how much I'm able to expend effort into doing various physical activities. So outside of that, you know, my, my day-to-day is filled, my, a lot of my time is filled with doing various breathing treatments and lung breathing exercises to clear the lungs as much as possible from, from the mucus and from the infections in order to be able to breathe as best that I can. So this is definitely, you know, when I say that CF has been my biggest challenge, it is really the challenge of wanting to do as much as I can and, and live a fulfilled, exciting, and purposeful life with the challenge of the limited ability to breathe as such a, you know, such a basic thing for all of us, yet it's something that certainly limits me and, I, and it causes challenges and requires me to navigate uh, and do things a bit differently and modified. So in saying that, you would be implying that you have to have a partnership with healthcare to get through from day to day. You have to have the assistance of medicines, but also the assistance of healthcare professionals. Tell us about the best of those experiences. When would you say you've experienced healthcare where you thought, this is really helping me 
to live with this condition? I have a number of examples where, you know, healthcare professionals have come to my rescue and have really provided me with the treatments, the healthcare, the the compassion that, you know, patients need to be able to get through many difficult health challenges. And one of the ones that a major one that comes to my mind is about, I guess, two or three years ago now, I had a very difficult to treat lung infection. And it, at that point, I was, I had only about 18% lung function, which most people have a hundred. So as you can imagine, it was a very trying time. And all of the antibiotics that I had been using were not working against treating that infection. So daily, I was doing multiple rounds of therapies and treatments, and it wasn't really having an effect. So at that point, luckily, I, I, I did find out about a new exper- an experimental therapy that, as an alternative to traditional antibiotics, that I then reached out to researchers to try to obtain for myself. And I think with the background that I have in science, the understanding about you know how this medication or how this treatment might work, and having the ability to communicate as effectively as I did as a patient with my care providers, with physicians and clinicians, as well as the research community, it really was paramount in helping to facilitate that treatment for me. So I was very grateful. It, it did end up helping and and I was able to clear that very bad infection. This is a treatment called phage therapy, if anyone was curious. But the I realized after that that I realized how much value there is in the patients taking ownership and being very proactive in in understanding about new research, in pushing the boundaries of you know, new potential new therapy options about learning about new treatment, about, you know, saying to the to the physicians, their care teams, hey, I, you know, I I've heard about this thing. I, I want to try it. Can I, you know, is there ways that we can think outside the box for for potential new treatments for me or, you know, just just more information in understanding their own health, which can then, you know, really improve that dynamic between care providers and the physician, uh, sorry, and and the patients. So to summarize, that experience really cemented my passion for empowering and, and, and empowering other patients to, to take these active roles in health, in their own health. Because if I wouldn't have done that, you know, I, I don't know what would have come of my life, truly, to be honest, because I was so ill. But that helped so much. Like in it made such a significant impact. My own initiative um, into my care made such a significant impact in the outcome of my health. So that is something that I really push and I really want to get the word out. This is a point that has been made by guest after guest on this podcast. And that is that when patients take agency, when they are actively involved in their condition, it somehow helps them not just feel better, but occasionally actually makes a huge difference to the outcome for that patient. Now, within that context, what does compassion look like to you as a patient when you come to 
a physician or a clinician to say, here is the step that I want to take. How do you feel that you were seen and heard in that situation? It requires this element and really the focus from all of all of healthcare, from you know, industry to physicians, for the patients too, to have humanity as the focus of healthcare. And that is what allows for compassion to be the, the most important thing. And what I mean by that is from the physician perspective, remembering that we are we're all human. So having the, the well-being of the patient and getting them the best care possible is the number one priority. So if that is looking outside the box for potential new therapies, if that's sitting with them an extra 10 minutes to 45 minutes explaining something about their care or looking up something for them so that they understand better or giving them advice on something maybe even unrelated to their health, maybe about their personal life. That builds so much connection to build these, build stronger relationships between physicians, between patients. And that's what drives compassion. That's what drives people to want to help each other in healthcare and really in every aspect of our world. And then also vice versa. You know, the patients also have to see their physician or their, you know, care providers as also as human that maybe they are mis- they maybe in the past have maybe not acted or they've perceived to not act toward them in the most compassionate of ways but physicians also have a lot of demands on them you know they have a lot of requirements they have to see many patients they have they have their personal lives too so don't take it necessarily to heart maybe when they didn't act uh, you know in the way that you might expect but be open and have that dialogue where, you know, I I would like this of, of my physician and, you know, can we can we build a better relationship to then foster that that trust, that space where there can be a, a mutual move towards health improvement. What does building that space look like in brass tax terms? So when you're in the room with the person, how do you know that there is the space for you to set out your stall, to talk about what's important to you, about the direction that you want to go in, and to feel that that's going to be, if not enabled, then certainly not somehow stopped uh, in the process. I think to some degree, as patients, we have to be confident in our knowledge about our health and about our bodies. Because when we go into a conversation, you know, whether that be with our physicians, with anyone, discuss, you know, laying things out like this is how I expect my care. This is the outcome I want. This is how I want to feel better. How can we get there? How can we work as a team to get there? When the patient is has a good foundational understanding of their own health and, and the, the aspects of their health that are most important to them, then that is I think, in general, well-received from the physician community because it helps them to know that, you know, this person is serious about about taking care of their health, about working with me in 
getting better outcomes and, and improving their health. And I think it makes them more willing to, to accommodate, to give a little more, give a little extra. And whether that looks like spending more time, you know, discussing something or, or looking up something or, or pursuing a clinical trial for them, you know, with them. So I think that that is a major factor in having this communication be more laid out, more, I guess, upfront and more authentic and kind of on the same wavelength. What does that authenticity look like when you're in the room with that care provider? How do you know that you are being seen and heard? What are the signals to you that this is happening? Listening. I think the most, like truly listening. I think the most respectful thing anyone can do for someone else is, is to truly hear them and not just report answers that you think they should hear or, or that are part of the books. This is maybe the treatment options that are available or this is what we should do or this is, but to really taking into consideration the, the person as a whole, they're not just their health. There are many other components involved in someone's care that have an effect on their health outcomes. And so I think to answer your question, under, knowing when you're being heard is by the, the care partner, the, the, physician, the clinician, really listening and then responding in a way that lets you know that they're, they've heard you, that they're open. And, and I think it's just something you can get... I think that our subconscious can gather these cues very, very easily, very quickly, even if we don't realize it in our conscious. But I, I think that would be that would be it. You mentioned active listening. You mentioned the whole patient. Do you feel it's important that your clinician takes the time to know who you are? What's important to you in your life outside of the long-term illness that you happen to be living with? Yes, absolutely. Because as I said, you know, that the illness is just one piece of who we are. We have our goals and our aspirations, our, the hobbies we're interested in, our families, our work. These are all the things that make up who we are. And when our health lacks, many of these other aspects of our lives then fall to the wayside or can't be, you know, completed with as much as we would, can't be complete as much as we would like and don't receive as much attention. Um, but those are also the pieces of our lives that keep us happy, that keep us motivated towards pursuing our goals, towards improving our health, towards keeping up our treatment regimens. So it's really important to consider all aspects because that is improves overall health. And mental health is a huge component of that too. You know, physical health is one thing, but all these other aspects of our lives contribute to our mental health. And, you know, I am a strong, I'm a firm believer that our mental state and our outlook on, and not just our health, but, you know, our overall lives really can either fuel us towards, you know, making, striving towards, you know, having fulfillment in our lives and working towards our goals and improving our health as much as we can and also just our overall state of being and it can also very much hinder us and and make us really unable to you know see the light at the end of the tunnel you make a really important point there ella and that's when you're dealing at a technical level 
with somebody with a long-term illness. Potentially only ever see them as this pathology with this scientific approach and this particular drug with this mechanism, with these side effects, etc. You don't talk about their job and their hobbies and their family. That's almost something that's regarded as a distraction. But what you're saying is that's not the case because that person's going to have to go back into that life and live with the decision that's been made in that office, taking into account very much that job, those hobbies, that family and the goals that they have for themselves. At what point in the interaction between the doctor and the patient should that become an agenda item? Look, tell me about your hobbies. At what point do you think that happens or should happen? As the relationship is built between a provider and the patient, you know, this can be, with each interaction, this can naturally unfold. But I think that it should be talked about early. I think that within the first, second appointment or meeting with a new physician, because it sets the precedent that it's not just about, it's not just about the data points and not just about the health outcome. It's about how can the the physicians, how can the care team consider all aspects of this person's life that do contribute or play a part in their health and in their healthcare. So it, it, like, it builds that feeling of connection it builds that trust component. It, it makes the patient feel comfortable. And, you know, I think in a way it also too can, when that trust is built, it allows the, the, the clinician to be able to also empower patients from their perspective, because it can have this positive influence where let's say, you know, a lot, a lot of patients don't know exactly where they should Look for new information or who they should turn to. They turn to their clinic, they turn to their provider and their, and their clinicians because they're their first, their first connection into healthcare, their first interaction. So the doctors have, the physicians have this, when they have built this strong connection with a patient, they can encourage them to take these more active roles in their care. And they can almost serve as like, in a way, maybe, you know, like a, mentor sort of position where they're like, I want to, I'm on your side. I'm on your level. I want to help you with this. I need you also to help me so that I can do a better job in caring for you. So that means that you also need to do X, Y, and Z, maybe take on some of this ownership. So I think that 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 dynamic really helps to facilitate the patients in having this view of, okay, my my doctor's really on my side. Like I want to help myself so that I can keep this connection positive and and keep them very much engaged in my care and have this mutual respect and collaboration for my care. So a powerful component uh, that that physicians have, you know, that they have the power. Now, I don't I don't want to use the word power, but um, that, that dynamic can be really impactful. You say that so eloquently. Can you think of something that you wish? a doctor had known in your life about you that they never bothered to ask that could have made a difference to an interaction in the years that you've been living with this illness? I, I've had this doctor, this CF physician for, since I was in my late teens, early, early 20s. And on our, upon our, for one of our first meetings, he was new to the Cystic Fibrosis Center of where I am cared for. 
And I was hospitalized at the time for a lung infection. And being that I was, I have a pretty severe disease that categorizes pretty severe disease. So at that point, I already had fairly low lung function. And he came into the center not knowing my, not knowing anything about my history, about my past, about you know what what my care has looked like to lead to that point. And he, I remember, I was like sitting in the hospital bed, and comes in the room and he introduces himself. I'm the new adult cystic fibrosis provider, and I remember him saying something along the lines of, "You know, perhaps you have not taken the best care of yourself these last few years," as to why maybe hospitalized so much and why your lung function isn't as good as many people statistically your age with cystic fibrosis. And I there I was very much like, wow, he he's making a lot of assumptions here. And he knows absolutely nothing about what a how I've taken care of myself. Our our first interaction did not come off on on the right footing. And I, I definitely like harbored that for a little for a little bit of a time. We now have a wonderful relationship, but, you know, we had to understand each other and he had to learn my past and I had to share that with him over the course of some months. But if he would have, instead of making that assumption, you know, asked different, asked more questions about my health and about my past to piece together the puzzle, instead of just knowing the statistics and then saying, well, this individual is not at the same level is much more ill, so she obviously must not be taking very good care of herself. And so I think that that I think that happens to a lot of people. You know, we all make assumptions about people and um, about their past or about their whatever it is without really knowing the story. So that goes back to the the communication aspect and and how important that is to know not just the health, but you know the other factors of someone's life that led to their condition, or their state. How long do you think it would have been in that first meeting for you to relay to him how much you'd looked after yourself leading up to that point? Would it have been a, an hour's conversation or would it have been a matter of less than two minutes to say, this is what's been happening and I'm, I'm ill because I've got severe illness? I think I could have very easily summarized it. However, I'm not sure how much maybe you would have trusted my quick summary, because I do think that the trust is, of course, it's back and forth. It's, it's built over time from the part of the physician side and from the patient side, too. So, you know, I, I think I could have explained it very easily and quickly, but I think it takes time for, it, for him to see that, I, that I'm very conscientious about my health, that I was doing everything I was supposed to. And he learned that over a course of a few months because I definitely keep up with my care and he saw that. But I'm not sure how much he might have trusted just just my word. Do you think some doctors see faster than others? Absolutely. I think that it's not something you can necessarily train for in medical school. You know, it's physician doctors are, are taught to all of the information, all of the the science and the health aspects and the and the, and the but the the dynamic the person to person communications and dynamic is is something that just has to be learned and some people are more inclined or just pick it up more easily and 
have more, I guess, maybe empathy or not sure what the word is, but I think that, yes, that definitely some, some physicians can, can pick up on that easier than others, but that doesn't mean that it cannot be learned and it cannot be mastered or um, improved on by everybody. Do you think you could identify somebody early on in their career who has the qualities that you're talking about? Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, I think that even medical students, you know, want to, when they do rounds, uh, I mean, I've been many, many times that I've been in the hospital. And of course, the physicians, the attending physicians do their rounds with their whole posse of residents, some medical students, some other individuals, the nurse and whoever else. And, you know, there are people that I, over, over all those interactions, I've noticed that do stand out, you know, the, the students or the residents that are, you know, they're asking more questions than, than they maybe need to. I mean, I remember I was, one time I was drawing a picture, sitting in the hospital bed and they ask me about, you know, what I'm drawing and, and that, that's, that's an interest of mine. And, and that's just adds that extra, you know, it adds that personal element that indicates in that indicates that that compassion aspect that the the care for the the individual not just about their their data points and and their and their health outcomes um, so i think that that is those stand out to me i think the point you're making is really important because you have an extremely important perspective in medicine and for you to identify from a bunch of novices who you think is likely to be able to interact in a way that is helpful to patients with a long-term illness. That is identifying the kind of talent that we really are trying to foster within the medical education environment. And I just wonder how often we ask patients to attend or to, to be involved in that. Uh, not often, if at all, I don't think, you know, I, I know that, you know, being involved in the healthcare space, even as far as my work goes, I have heard of a few programs where patients are connected with medical students in training or um, residents in training, or there are educational programs where um, a patient is speaking at a meeting or to a classroom of medical students. But I think these kind of programs and early connections are quite a few and far between. I, I don't think there is a lot of that early relationship building occurring. You know, I think a lot of physicians just get to the hospital setting as residents when, you know, that is one of their first interactions with, with patients. And they're also trying to mask along with mastering bedside manners and, and fostering this communication and, and build relationship building with patients. They're also having, at the same time, having a lot of pressure regarding you know, how, how they can work as physicians too and, and mastering a lot of the, the other requirements that it takes to be a physician and the skills. So it's a lot of it's a lot placed on them all at once. So I think the earlier that this dynamic and this kind of relationship building can take place, 
right from the you know beginning of physician's career. Um, and and I think that this can greatly benefit that you know learning learning those skills that it requires to be a very compassionate um, and you know great physician later on in life. Hello, Balasa. You talked about active listening. You talk about the whole patient, their goals, their job, their hobbies, their family. These are key components of the history. They're key components of being in a position to make a difference to the patient. You have a unique perspective on this, and we are so grateful that you've taken the time to share that with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. The Health Design Podcast, sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.